Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wild Card Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. Welcome to Industry Focus. I'm Nick Seipel. We've got lots of news to run down in energy and industrials this week, and I'm excited to have Lou Whiteman back on the show with me to break it all down. Lou, how's it going? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing fantastic. We're gonna, we've got a couple topics to, to break down today. We'll update listeners on the Kansas City Southern acquisition we discussed about a month ago. This is already a super complicated acquisition. We weren't sure if the government was going to approve it. Now we've got a bidding war on top of that with Can- Canadian National Railway jumping into the mix. We'll break that down and see uh, what could come next when it comes to this transaction. But first, I want to start with space. SpaceX scored a huge win at the end of last week when NASA selected the company as the sole winner in the bidding to provide landing equipment needed to bring humans back to the moon. Lou, what does this news mean for SpaceX and, and you know for the space industry more broadly? Yeah, though this was a huge deal. This is part of NASA's big Artemis project, which, as you say, is going to bring us back to the moon. This is a $2.9 billion, with a B, contract for the human landing system. This is the part that is going to bring astronauts from orbit to the moon's surface and back. Uh, this has been in development for a long time. NASA, it was a who's who's list of people signed up for this. Uh, NASA narrowed it down to three bidders. We had expected two uh, winners, but it ended up being a winner take all. And SpaceX has beaten out uh, Dynetics, which was a Lido's holding subsidiary, and uh, Jeff Bezos's Blue Origin for a really big, important contract on this whole moon landing uh project. Right. So, so one of the things we saw coming out of this news, Lou, is that how SpaceX won this deal was they just bid significantly less uh, th- than some of these other these other folks operating in the industry. What is allowing SpaceX to do this? Is it their special rockets or what's behind this? Yeah, so it's, it's really interesting because since this is a government deal and, and you can protest it, they NASA really had to justify their decision. They wrote a long, a 24-page document basically explaining why. And what comes out is, yeah, that SpaceX was, quote, significantly lower than Blue Origin, and Blue Origin was significantly less than uh, Lido's. So, yes, yeah, SpaceX really won on cost, but what they're doing is they're taking on a lot of the risk themselves. SpaceX volunteered to self-fund and assume financial risk for about half of the development te- in testing, which is a massive number. That That's how you get this down to only $3 billion. Uh, you know, it's interesting because this is sort of a unique advantage SpaceX has. They're involved in so many things. They're working to get to Mars for Elon Musk eventually. It's sort of a lot of this work will complement the work they were going to do already. So with that public-private partnership, that kind of commercial element, they are able to justify taking on this risk that a pure defense contractor that's only going to be doing this for NASA maybe can't justify taking on that risk. Right. So SpaceX can tell themselves a story about this work we're doing on this Artemis project can give us some benefits on, you know, the, the big the big super rocket that'll take us to Mars or what have you. And so, and so therefore, th- these dollars can kind of get spent twice in a way. Right, right. And it's also, it's, I mean, it, it's important to say, too, SpaceX is a startup. They're doing a good job breaking in, but they are still trying to break in. As the newcomer, you're always going to be more 
price, you know, you need price to get involved. Uh, they're also, you know, SpaceX, as far as we know, they aren't a profitable company. They're not really focused on profits right now. They're focused on adding scale, adding business, you know, kind of hitting these huge development goals. So it's it's much different. It's, it's almost a fair, unfair advantage, but it, it's, they came into this bidding a lot different than, say, a publicly traded company that wants to do a deal and earn their X percent margin. So, yeah, it really set up well for them to to triumph here. Right. So, so you talk about how, how technology from one part of the business, you know, maybe that there's some synergies here. You know, a lot of people are going to ask or wonder, is this using SpaceX's renewable or reusable rockets as part of this this Artemis deal? Or is this kind of separate, separate technology? Or what do we know about where this fits in? Well, sort of. You, you, by, by the nature here, you have reusable rockets, just like you did with Apollo, because you need to go both down and up. Uh, the, the, the reusables that we think of with SpaceX that they've been developing are the ones that are going to break through the Earth's atmosphere. And those, those are the big guns. Uh, this craft is designed, it's a, it's a, it's a, 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 it's going to be a modification on the Starship where it's not going to have all the heat shields and all the things you need to get back to Earth. This craft is going to sit in orbit, get refueled in orbit, go down to moon and back. So yeah, it's going to be using its, its thrusters over and over again, but it's, it's not like what we've seen with the other, um, with the, with the big rockets trying to break through Earth's atmosphere. So, so we've we talked about how, how this is an opportunity for SpaceX, clearly, when you're the only company and you get the contract to take people to the moon. Uh, that's a big deal uh, for your business. But you also talked earlier, Lou, about the, the idea that these, these bids can be challenged and, and that NASA likes to have uh, redundancy when, when they bid out these projects. So what led to the, the point of, of SpaceX being, being the sole source provider and what are some potential issues for NASA that may come from that? Sure, sure. Yeah, NASA desperately. This is this is an all new world for NASA. NASA used to do everything in house, and the new NASA is putting a lot more responsibility on the contractors. But in return, they want redundancy. They want different people involved. Uh, for example, the uh, SpaceX, their other signature project, the Crew Dragon, getting uh, astronauts from Earth to the space station. Uh, they and Boeing won that, and so far Boeing has not been able to deliver. So it, it's good that. NASA had too. Uh, in in this case, basically, if you read the uh, the statement, NASA honestly didn't even have enough money for one award based on the cost. Uh, and um, you know, funding is going to be an issue for this project. We can talk about it. But so NASA is in an odd position where originally the goal was to get to the moon by 2024. That was the previous administration. Uh, you could probably guess that the the previous president, who would have been term limited by 2024, wanted to see it during his um, during his tenure, and uh, so that was what was really driving the timeline. Obviously, he's not there anymore. We have maybe a longer timeline, and that's good because NASA said it needed 3.3 billion for this project to get there in that timeline. And so far, they've only gotten 700 million or so total in the last two years. So there's risk to NASA with one bidder. There's honestly risk to SpaceX that a lot of this could be for nothing because we really don't know. I think we'll get to the moon eventually, but when, how, the details on this, uh, you know, there's just a lot of uncertainty about this, how big of a priority it is for Congress. if nothing else, SpaceX and NASA are going to get a lot of good R&D out of this. 
And if SpaceX can establish itself, it really might have some of its competitors thinking, how are we going to do this in the future? Because of, you know, with the low cost. So, so there's a lot of moving parts. There is stuff to be gained. But for all the headlines on this deal, I'm not sure this gets us much closer to the moon by 2024 anyway. Right. So, so what maybe one of the potential risks for both NASA and SpaceX in this case is, is that the Congress doesn't play along, right? There's just not enough, enough money to make ends meet and pay the bills needed to, to get this project off the ground, to use a pun. Yes, yes, yeah. And I mean, and, and obviously, you know, since this project was written up, we've had a lot of big expenses with COVID. We've had a lot, you know, they, and I mean, we're hearing uh, the new administration has a lot of priorities and it's in their first year. And, you know, I mean, we have infrastructure, we have a lot of things going on. So I I don't think we're going to hit that 2024 deadline. I, I think regardless of it, though, it's a good win for SpaceX and it should advance their their mega projects along. But um, yeah, it's far from certain for any side what's going to actually come out of this right now, I'd say. Right. But before we move on from SpaceX, you know, zooming out from Artemis, talking more broadly about space as a business and SpaceX as a company, what are what are your biggest questions about SpaceX's future? Is it is it government funding or, or, or something else? You know, I, I think SpaceX has really proven itself that it can be a loyal, you know, that, that, that it will get its share of the business, both on the Pentagon side and NASA side. Uh, without doubt, SpaceX has done a lot of amazing things, especially for a startup in a very, very difficult business to get established in. I think the biggest question would probably be, you know, concerning Na- NASA and funding. Uh, there's going to be X amount of business from the Pentagon, but that's lower margin, less kind of ambitious stuff. It's it's more reliable, but you're talking SpaceX has some $150 million rocket launch deals. Those are much more reliable, but they pale in comparison to a $2.9 billion NASA deal. So, you know, it's it it's it's a good steady business, but you know, the, these home runs and how certain they are, how well they'll get funded and uh, how much you can rely on them to build your business, that would be the bigger question kind of out of NASA, I think. Okay, uh, moving on, on on this kind of space topic, a little bit less investing focus, but more about kind of the state of technology and, and the role that space plays in, in moving that that technology forward. Just over the, the past few days, we've seen the first flight uh, of, of the Mars helicopter, Ingenuity. Lou, what can you tell us about, about this project and you know, what it says about space technology and the state of drone technology today? This is NASA at its best. This is NASA the scientist. Uh, this is an $80 million project, maybe 85 if you count just packing it up and going on. All done in-house. All done. There is no contractor involved here. This is done by an internal team at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory working with off-the-shelf parts, basically just science for the sake of science to prove that this was possible. You know, this is this is a heck of a challenge. Mars's atmosphere is about 1% of the density of Earth, which if you understand anything about helicopters, makes helicopters very hard. Uh, the gravity is only 38% as strong. So, it, so there is some, you know, but I mean, they're using a Qualcomm Snapdragon processor that we got rid of in our phones five, six, seven years ago because it wasn't good enough. It's the most powerful silicon on the entire Mars mission, though, because they were able to buy it off the shelf. Uh, You know, this isn't, I mean, it's $80 million. It's a drop in the bucket if it was a contractor thing. But this is a reference for bigger projects that will see contractor involvement. You're going to see contractors working with the JPL coming out of this for what's next, not only in space. You can see space uh, just surveying. 
uh, bigger helicopters autonomous because of the delay. They have the thing has to fly on its own. You have an eight minute delay. You cannot do this remote. So this has to be fully autonomous. The developments in miniaturization and autonomous and, and just how you do things on a foreign world, you will see that trickle down. Maybe not it's quite the same as the way Tang came out of the space program, but this is a reminder of the bleeding edge R&D and the stuff that we take for granted that does come out of just science for the sake of science. Yeah, Louis, so you've talked about uh, uh, several times so far on the podcast uh, of this shift from, from NASA doing its own development in-house to more of a reliance on on contractors. You also mentioned Tang, you talk about Velcro or, or lots of other different types of technology developed in space, developed uh, um, through the space program. Is space still an area we can think of a, as developing you know, the absolute cutting edge of this technology? Does NASA still play that role or is that something that, that has also moved over to contractors? They do to some extent, but if nothing else, NASA is a powerful grant writing body. So, I mean, even if, even if one day the next helicopter doesn't come out of NASA, I think it will come out of some very Stanford University or some research lab with NASA funding. But yeah, no, I think I think for the sake of the mission of NASA, they have to constantly push that envelope forward. So yeah, I, I think science for the sake of science or science just to see if they can, which is what this helicopter was trying to do. Let's see if this is possible. That's still an important part of NASA's role and whether or not it's inside the JPL or a $80 million deal with some contractor, I I, I, I think that's, that's more reasonable to expect than these $3 billion deals, to be honest, I think. So, so moving on from space, we've talked about this absolute cutting edge of technology, both with you know the the, the new moon mission as well as as what's going on uh, with the Ingenuity Mars helicopter. I want to transition uh, back to from cutting edge technology to probably the opposite of cutting edge technology: railroads, two hundred year old technology that's really been under development since you know maybe uh, the early eighteen hundreds. So last month uh, we discussed Canadian Pacific's thirty billion dollar proposal to acquire Kansas City Southern would have been the first railroad acquisition in over a decade. This week, we've seen Canadian National launch a competing bid uh, at $33 billion. Lou, what can you tell us about what's going on here? So, yeah, so this is getting very interesting because we have had, as you said, the status quo of railroads for a long time. Now that someone's going to break that up, everybody's looking to get involved. Canadian National has always sort of played the big brother foiling Canadian Pacific's plan. So it actually works. The narrative is perfect here. Uh, we're not building more railroads. Uh, the We need more shipping efficiencies. Kansas City Southern has a unique set of assets running down the spine of North America to Mexico. Uh, buying them here is a play on insourcing. It's a play on post-COVID, the, the renaissance in manufacturing in North America, in particular Mexico. Uh, that is the part of the this set of assets that you cannot replace. And now that it's on the market, everybody's trying to figure out, wow, if someone's going to get that, I wish it would be me. And so here we are. So when you look at Kansas City Southern coming up for sale this year, you, you've got an asset that you're never going to see probably come up for sale again in an industry where you're not going to see a new railroad probably ever be constructed. And so in that in that context, it's the perfect scenario for a bidding war. If you're if you're an executive at a railroad company and you want to have on your resume that I did a big acquisition, this may be the only time in your entire career that you get this opportunity. And if you know if there's some structural advantage for you to gain for your business by attaching a complementary asset, this may be the only complementary asset that ever comes available as well. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and what is the price to put on it? I mean, last fall, Blackstone, which obviously they wanted a good deal, but, uh, you know, they, they're a very sophisticated investor. Uh, their best and final on uh, Kansas City Southern when they were going to take a private was about $20 billion. Now we're at thirty billion. Now we're at thirty-three. I mean, when Berkshire Hathaway bought Burlington Northern, now granted this was a while ago, they were sold for about three times sales. We're pushing twelve times sales now with this deal. You know, I mean that's it is. It's these are valuable assets, and as we said, you know, with the trends, you'd think that 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 connecting Mexico, Canada to the United States, it's only going to grow more important. But at some point, it is that lost opportunity. The, the, this is your one opportunity to get these assets. And, um, you know, I'm, I don't know if it can go higher, but certainly we're past the point where you can just sit down with a spreadsheet and say, yes, this makes sense. There, there's more to it than the numbers at this point, which which gets interesting. Right. And if you're Kansas City Southern, what are you to do in, the, in this situation as, as the executives at that company? Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, they've been... They've been pretty silent for right now. Right now, the the, the bidders are kind of fighting each other. I can't say, uh, uh, excuse me. Canadian Pacific came out yesterday on their earnings call, really talked down the, the Canadian national offer. Said uh, it was much too reliant on debt, which makes you wonder: Does that kind of paint them in a corner where they can't raise theirs and take on more debt? But also, they're warning that the deal, the Canadian national deal, can't get by regulators. Uh, Canadian national is out today saying. Baloney, dead, you know. So, so it's kind of back and forth with them. Kansas City Southerners sort of just lying back and saying, "You guys just figure out what what size check you want to write, and we will uh, we'll take it." I think right now, but yeah, it's it's a weird time, and of course, there's always a chance someone else gets. You know, we have three, maybe four of Berkshire. We have, you know we have large U.S. railroads that I think would face a lot more of a challenge. But who knows? We could even see another bidder get involved. For all I know. Right. So, yeah, Kansas City Southern, you know, hush up and let them uh, pump the price up as much as they want. Uh, the other player in this, and you mentioned maybe another railroad gets involved. We'll see what happens there. But regardless, there's a fourth player involved. We've got, you know, the two Canadian railroads trying to acquire Kansas City Southern. And then we have the government, the regulator uh, involved in this. And it's it's not clear that the regulators will let anybody acquire Kansas City Southern. Right, right. I mean, the, the reason we haven't seen any major railroad deals is last time they tried this in the 90s, they screwed everything up and made things miserable. So the Surface Transportation Board, the relevant regulator base, said no more. Now, Kansas City Southern was the smallest of the big railroads. They always were sort of exempt from this. And I think a deal can get done with them. But uh, both of these, both of the Canadian companies want to come up with some trust that is going to get you the payout sooner, because right now we're talking at least a year for regulatory approval, even when it was just one bidder. Uh, the Department of Justice has come out and said, that's a mockery of the regulation. You can't have that happen. So there is so much out there. It's really hard to read. I mean, I will say, I do think Canadian National has the tougher case to make. Uh, it is much bigger than either of these other companies. Combined in terms of revenue, Canadian Pacific and Kansas City Southern would still be smaller than, Can than uh, Canadian National in terms of revenue. Canadian National back in the late 90s bought a company called Illinois Central. It gave them track down the Mississippi to the Gulf Coast. That is redundant to what Kansas City Southern brings in the United States. You cannot make the same argument Canadian Pacific can that it, it creates a new competitor with one line track. So I do think it is a thornier, but I certainly don't think it is undoable to the point where they shouldn't have even bothered. You know, I mean, I think it's 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 just 
it's just a crazy situation right now where the regulator has a lot of difficult decisions to make that will impact the fate of the industry and all of these companies. All right. We talked about previously, Lou, that, you know, best case scenario, even without another uh, another bidder getting involved, this is probably a two-year process to close this transaction. Now that uh, a Canadian national has jumped into the bidding, does that push this out even longer? Are we looking, you know, three, four years before this this could realistically close, given all the machinations behind the scenes? I doubt it goes that far, but I do think it could make things go low. For, for one thing, I mean, we don't really know if the clock has started yet now, you know, because we don't know who, what, what the application is going to end up being. I do think that summer of 2022 is suddenly looking optimistic instead of a long way off. And one other thing I'd note, I'm not, I don't think this is Canadian Nationals' uh, primary motivation. I do think they want the access to Mexico, but it serves them and probably the U.S. railroads just fine to muddy the waters enough that no deal gets done and the status quo remains where Canadian Pacific and KSU are smaller railroads that have to partner with these big guys. So there's really no downside for Canadian National other than they're going to have to figure out how to integrate it and pay down the debt if, if they actually win it. But the status quo sort of benefits them, which is kind of adds to the intrigue of what they'll do and and how they'll play it out I think. Yeah, there's a whole poker game going on and you know who is bluffing, who who is who's got a great hand uh, and it's still still to be determined. At the end of the day, the regulators are, are going to call a lot of the shots in and what goes on here. So, uh when we when we get some official uh uh opinions, um that, that'll be uh, some impactful information. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's going to be fun. It, 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 this is the early stages of this. We've already gone a, a, a long way, but yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see where this goes. Yeah. So we'll continue following this story, Lou. I thought maybe a, a fun closing question for you. You know, uh, Matt Greer likes to do the Desert Island question. So so Desert Island, you've got to own uh, uh, one of these for the next five years. Okay, you've got SpaceX. We're going to assume SpaceX is a public company. Its most recent private round is $74 billion. So I'll give you SpaceX at $74 billion, or you can buy shares in any of these uh, these railroads, Canadian Pacific, Kansas City Southern, or Canadian National. You've got to hold it for the next five years. Which would you pick and why? This is such an interesting question, isn't it? Uh, you know, it's, so let's start with SpaceX. SpaceX is probably, I, I am very impressed with SpaceX. And um, it, they are definitely my favorite Elon Musk related company. I They have done a lot. There's a lot to like about where they're going. Uh, but 75 billion, you know, for that 75 billion, you can buy all of Northrop Grumman plus all of Lido's holdings and get two powerful space businesses plus a whole lot more. And I mean, I know we're not supposed to fixate on valuation, but that is a heck of a valuation for a small revenue-wise niche business that is probably not profitable. Um, So that takes me to the railroads. And absent this, going into this, I could have made a case to buy any of those three. Um, My cheating answer is probably I will buy the Canadian one that doesn't win the auction because, you know, they're not going to have the integration. But uh, just since that's cheating, I'll take Kansas City Southern on the fact that I do think trends are going in their direction as far as Fortress North America and the advantages of Mexico. If a deal gets done, it's cash and stock. So you get a payout plus you get to ride the rails with whoever wins it for the long term. So, uh, you know, there's just a lot to like about railroads right now. And it might take a while for this to work out. But Kansas City Southern's 
sitting sitting pretty right now. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think I, I think I'd agree with you, Lou. Kansas City Southern, uh, you know, you got maybe a bidding war, uh, a bidding war uh, uh, bubbling in, and, and this idea with the, with the USMCA, uh, they're they're kind of the perfect railroad for that, and I think they've been pitching themselves. If you wanted to go with a rule breaker approach, though, I wouldn't blame you with going with SpaceX. It is the top dog and first mover, and you know it checks off every box, including the extreme uh, extreme overvaluation, according to uh, oh, the yeah. financial media. So, oh, so yeah. uh, um, you know, if you wanted to take a big swing on growth, SpaceX checks off just about all the David Gardner rule breaker boxes. So uh, we'll certainly be paying attention to that company if we if it's ever something we have an opportunity to look at for public investors. And when that time comes, Lou, you will be on the show with me to talk about it uh, if, if you're willing to come on. Oh, pleasure. And I'll probably be pretty positive because it is, it is a cool company. <laughs> well, I- until then, as always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks discussed. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Tim Sparks for mixing the show. For Lou Whiteman, I'm Nick Seipel. Thanks for listening and fool on.